looking at the book of Revelation. This is part 16. I'm going to try and hurry. Assurance for Christians when the world faces the fire of God's coming end time judgment. Revelation 14, 1 to 20. We'll be in this two Sunday nights. And after I read this, don't worry, I'm just going to do a quick recap to say, okay, here's where we are, here's why we're here, and here's the meaning of it. Revelation 14, 1. John on Patmos, that island, and he gets these visions. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion, so he sees Mount Zion, stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000. That number should be familiar if you've been with us in these studies who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of, of harpists. So he's, you can tell he's reaching for words. I mean, there's a world of difference between the roar of many waters, harpists. Uh, it, it was kind of like this. No, it was kind of like that. But it's, it's this vision that he sees, and it's not an easy thing to put into words. Playing on their harps, verse 3, and, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. We haven't read of them for a long time, since the early chapters of the book. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So these are not angelic creatures or beings. These are people, people of the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are, they are virgins. Let me just beg the obvious question. He sees this vision, 140. How does he know they're virgins? And it's a symbol of, 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 of purity. It includes sexual purity. You'll see that in a minute. But more than that, these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And, and that idea of virginity, you read James, and he talks about, you adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He means virgin in that sense. Devoted to the Lord. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. In their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. And then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with, with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and, and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made Heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. We'll read more of that yet to come. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now you see these 144,000, John says, they're, they're the virgins. And then he sees Babylon and this structure that's designed to pull people into uh, departing from Christ and into all sorts of sensuality and immorality. Verse 9. Another angel, a third. So there's a sequence of angelic beings. 
A third followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. We haven't looked at the bowls, the cups of God's wrath yet, but we will. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. Isn't that strange? Fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And, and the smoke of their torment. They're not annihilated. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest, you see. They have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I, and I heard a voice. Now he sees this vision. Now he hears. He hears something, John. I heard a voice from saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. We usually read that at funerals, but it's kind of a specific reference here to this, this end time sequence of events. 14. And then I looked, and behold, a white cloud... And seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, with with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. We don't hear or talk about sickles much. A a curved, sharp blade that would be used to, to, to slice down grain and harvest it into little bundles. 15. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap for the Hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And so he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth. That's a big sickle. Swung it across the earth. And the earth was reaped. 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. So it's like grapes, for its grapes are ripe. 19. So so the angel swung his sickle across the earth. Same picture. Gathered the grape harvest of the earth. Threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. He sees this picture. And and the winepress was trodden outside the city. And and now it's not grapes, you see. And blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle. For 1600 stadia. What a text. It's important to remember, again, where we are in the flow of the book of Revelation, okay? So we're continuing our study of this interlude. This interlude between the sounding of the seventh trumpet and the pouring out. We haven't studied this yet. The pouring out of the seven bowls of God's wrath. Remember, seven seals, 
Seven trumpets, seven bowls. And what's the important thing? Each seven runs right up to the very, very end. So these three sevens pile up on top of each other, both in speed and in intensity. And it's really the seven bowls of God's wrath that get poured out at the very end, very quickly, very suddenly. But in this interlude, we've had these visions. I'm going to go over them real fast. Between the seventh trumpet and the pouring out of the bowls, John gets this series of visions. Visions that give a picture of the meaning of the things that are about to be revealed about the pouring out of God's wrath. So here's kind of where we've been mapping out. John sees in Revelation 12 that this conflict is a spiritual conflict. Remember Revelation 12? The man-child, the Messiah, the dragon, that great red dragon that wants to devour the child but can't. And the dragon is identified very clearly as Satan, the devil. He's determined not to just crush belief in God, but he is determined to stamp out the idea of the Lamb of God, the Redeemer. So all of the things that John sees happening on the outside, the the periphery, are, are at core the work of Satan. But the next thing we saw was Satan doesn't do all these things visibly. He manifests himself through two personalities that we studied in Revelation 13, the Antichrist and the false prophet, these two beasts that we studied. The Antichrist, if you remember, there's a, there's a political structure that he works through. And it's very similar to the, uh, the images of the nations that we looked at at Daniel's prophecy. We took time to, to study that. So Antichrist will come not just as a person, but it'll be the, re- the revival of a, of a power structure with him having a key role in that structure. Then, then the false prophet. So Antichrist, political conflict. The false prophet is a religious uh, power. He, he, he says in Revelation 13, he draws people to worship the beast, to bow to the beast. So it's, it's the devotion of the heart that this false prophet works with. And so it's a complex, it's a complex structure empowered by Satan, the dragon, but he works through Antichrist and the political systems of the end time, the false prophet and false religious systems that will both will pull people away from Christ, punish people who don't allow themselves to be pulled away from Christ. Now, Just before the unfolding of the very end, John is once again given a vision. And it's it's a vision of a particular kind. It's a vision designed, before the events even occur, it's a vision designed for John to bring assurance and comfort that in spite of all that I just said about Antichrist... Satan, Antichrist, the false prophet, will look at Babylon too, another power. In spite of all that, and when everything looks hopeless, John gets these visions now that you you might think that everything has slipped out of God's control. You might think there's no future here. 
But that's not the case. History is still in God's sovereign hand. And this is the purpose behind where we are now, still in that interval between the seventh trumpet and the pouring out of the seven bowls. The curtain is pulled back to see future events as though they have already happened. They hadn't happened yet when John sees them, of course. So the actual end is still to come, but in this vision, John sees the end as though it's an accomplished event. We know this. We've seen it earlier. Revelations, Revelation 12, 10, and 11, where it talks about Satan. He's come down in fury because he knows his time is short. And so, and so the hand is already revealed. This is a losing proposition. The Lord will triumph. So chapter 14, it's really an amazing piece. I'm going to go through it fairly quickly, of of prophetic summary. There's a fascinating structure to it. First, first it looks back and it recaps some earlier themes that we've studied in Revelation. And then secondly, it looks ahead to themes that will be developed future studies in the remaining chapters of the book. So looking back, Chapter 14 starts to give a recap of some visions we've already studied. One, the vision of the Lamb and the sealed saints on Mount Zion. You see it in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 14. I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000. We saw that in Revelation 7, that number who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And, and, I, and I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. So do you see what he's doing? 13 ends with this hopeless picture. And then all of a sudden, he gets this vision. Yeah, but don't forget, those ones that had the mark of God, protected by God, look at them. They're, they're singing around the throne. And no one could learn the song, middle of verse 3, except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So immediately we see that number, 144,000, and we realize, okay, okay, we're being taken back to a vision John had in chapter 7. It's another picture of those who had been sealed by God. If you looked at it, it would be Revelation 7, 14 through 17. And John says, who are these? These 144,000, Revelation 7. I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation... They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. And the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb 
in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Okay, Revelation 14, this is the same multitude, the same people. Now, they won't actually experience this final triumph in the unfolding events of Revelation until Revelation 20, 21, and 22. But there's a reason that John gets this vision right now that shows them as though all these events have already taken place. You see, chapter 13 closes with a picture and warning about the mark of the beast. And that chapter makes the future look nothing but bleak and hopeless for those who refuse that mark. 13:15 where it says so that those so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be to be slain. And it all looks pretty hopeless except except Revelation 7 there were these people the church the people of God and they were sealed they were marked. And so we see this multitude again now in chapter 14. And and here's the amazing contrast that John intends us to see and marvel at. This crowd of people, these people who refused the mark of the beast, some who paid the ultimate price for their devotion to Jesus, they've not been annihilated or wiped out. And guess what? The people who refused the mark, they they were marked after all. I looked and behold, 14.1, On Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And they're singing. Verse 3. And they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. We've seen singing and praising pictured in Revelation before. This singing is different. This is a song specifically sung by the redeemed. See it at the end of verse 3? Who had been redeemed from the earth. And it's significant to me. John says that this isn't a song that you can learn. This isn't a song you can learn. No one could learn that song, 14.3. Except the 144,000 who had been redeemed. You know what I get from that? Redemption can't be learned like history can be learned. Redemption can't be learned like you can learn to drive a car or you can learn to play the piano. Redemption is not an acquired skill. It it, it comes from the outside. It's a work of God. You can't get it from your parents. It has to be experienced to be known. Here's this 144,000. They're marked by purity of life. Verses 4 and 5. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. In their mouth, no lie was found. They are, they are blameless. So these people, they're, they're not sexually immoral. They didn't compromise to the values and the cultures of the culture, uh, of the culture around them, the style of the culture around them. They're truthful in speech. And, and, and most important of all, it says, verse 4, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That's particularly important because remember, John is 
in his vision, he sees these people as contrasted with those who receive the, the mark of, of the beast. These people won't. They follow, they follow the lamb. They're a separate group. Number two, look at the angelic call to repentance here. It's in six and seven. We're almost done. And then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with, with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. So there's, there's one gospel. It's not going to be one way for Jews and another way for Gentiles. There's this gospel for all the nations of the earth. The same gospel that you believe, that you devote your life to. Verse 7, and he said with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So, so in view of now the coming in, we're about to see these seven bowls of God's wrath poured out. And so once again, there's this call to those who dwell on the earth. They're urged to repent. They're urged to repent. This isn't the first time we've seen this. Revelation 9. You see the, the, the same thing. Revelation 9, 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So now here, chapter 14, John, by the Holy Spirit, he sees the people, he sees people still being called. Even at this late hour, the gospel proclaimed, people being called. They've been impressed by the signs and wonders of the Antichrist, the false prophet in chapter 13. And they're now being urged to repent. Turn, turn from the worship of the beast. Bow, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. They don't, they don't listen. And here's what I get from that. You can put your notes away. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, now, and increasing measure up to when Jesus comes again, the very end. You, you only have control of your heart for a little while. I was, I was so impressed by those, the three testimonies up there. I have no knowledge whatsoever, no experience. Uh, drugs, I take Dristan once in a while, but... But the way they all have that same testimony, you've heard it over and over again, but I thought it would be fun. I, I thought it would numb the pain. I thought it would do this. And what they didn't realize is you, you only have control over that for a little while and then it controls you. But it's not just drugs. What, what we're reading about here as, as time approaches the very end, there's a, there's a, there's a principle where you hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Christians, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. He deals with you about certain things. And your heart only stays sensitive to those things for a certain amount of time. 
And when you don't respond to what the Holy Spirit says, you don't grow more sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. You grow numb to the voice of the Spirit. Can can you imagine these people living where they live? John sees these visions of, of... Horrific things happening all around them and times of judgment and times of wrath and, and, and people who cry out for help, but they, won't, but they won't respond to the gospel. They won't be saved. And we read about those visions so that we know now. So we're not there in prophetic scheme. We're not there yet. The very end. But that principle is already starting to fulfill itself in today's culture. Where, where um, spiritual things are harder and harder to be attentive and sensitive to. Harder and harder to be attentive and sensitive to. And so when we read that, there's, I believe there's something that the Holy Spirit wants to speak into the life of his church now, so that as, as years go by, get it into children, get it into youth, get it into young adults, get it into marrieds, get it into older people, that you're not going to suddenly want to be close to the Lord as a fire escape at the end of history. <laughs> that the process of keeping your heart open to the Lord is something that you, it's a challenge, like I said earlier. It's something you stay sensitive to all your life. Don't let little things creep into your heart of of coldness and rebellion to the Lord because they they don't remain little. They don't remain little. So you have that, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray.